Welcome back, everybody. Very cool show today. We're interviewing a couple guys that are official UFO hunters, like legit boots on the ground guys. They have all kinds of gear and like nine cameras on a rack, every spectrum you can imagine. And they fly all over the world. And uh, I think they've been doing this at least a dozen years, something like it's, that, Jason. Yeah, something around that. Uh, yeah, they've been at it for a bit. Yeah. And uh, so basically, they uh, it's Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb. They host a YouTube page called Rob Freeman UFO World Explorer, and they're going to chat with us about some of the cool things they've seen, different parts of the world, uh, the reception they get when they go to these places, and uh, what kind of technology they're using and how they sort of take a science mind and are actually trying to help uh, capture things that the average person wouldn't. So very excited for today's show. Uh, we'll be right back after our intro with Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb. Let's do this. Welcome back to UAP Studies Podcast. My name is Louis Borges. Joining me as always, my good friend and illustrious co-host, Jason Gilmet. How are you, buddy? Good morning, sir. How I'm doing very good. How are you? I'm doing very good. We've got a, a four-way panel going on today. It's very cool. Uh, a couple of gentlemen that are, to be quite honest, they're doing things I wish I could do with my <laughs> career and spare time. These are real-world UFO hunters. These guys go on expeditions to places that have had sightings or indigenous folklore about these things forever. Uh, they go put boots on the ground and try to capture this stuff with really high tech gear and equipment. And, you know, we're uh, uh, constantly questing for people that are science minded. We're trying to prove something that we don't even fully understand. And it's easy to debunk something when there's never any evidence and any proof. So it's our goal to try to get more and more of that. And uh, with our recent lineup of guests, you know, guys like Jacques Vallée and Ross Coltart, and now today with these gentlemen, Leslie Kane as well, and Avi Loeb coming up. So um, the, again, that's where we're heading with this. We're trying to figure this out because let's be honest, the disclosures lately, they're not really getting us further ahead. It almost feels like we're going backwards a bit. And uh, yeah, so we're going to try to do as much as we can to bring good information to people. And uh, our two guests today, we've got Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb. So Rob Freeman hosts um, Rob Freeman's UFO World Explorer uh, page on YouTube, which we highly recommend. He also founded the CSSAA, which is the uh, Center for Scientific Study of Atmospheric Anomalies. So very cool. And uh, we have Mark McNabb, a TV producer, documentary filmmaker. Uh, he's the owner of Starlight Films. And uh, as a pair, they each take on kind of like we do. You take half the duties. I take half the duties. Let's put our heart and soul into it and see what we can get out of it. So super excited to welcome to the show today, uh, Mr. Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb. Great well, to be here. Thank you very much, Louie and Jason. Yep. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, guys. Thank you. So we'll try to divvy this up. So it's because I know, uh, Mark, you're uh, you're injured at the moment and you're feeling bad about the way you look. So you're just a <laughs> shining, perfect haired shot today. Yeah, I got the perfect do going there right there. That's right. <laughs> and uh, and Elon Musk knows Rob Freeman's on Starlink. So he's messing with his Internet connection. But we're going to do our damnedest to keep this organized and informative. So we'll start with Rob. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history and what got you into all this. Yeah, so basically, really, uh, I went through life, uh, you know, in school and so on. I got involved in real estate sales for 15 years. I then founded a company, London Telecom, which was one of Canada's first long distance companies. I sold that. 
Um, got involved with Mark. We, we did a lot of films together. And it's funny because we were on the set. We were doing a film right here at the house, actually. And it was in between sets when people are just talking, you know, while the actors are getting made up and so on. And people are just chit-chatting and different subjects come up. And somebody mentioned, has anybody seen a UFO? And I said, well, I have. And I told my story. And Mark listened to the story. And uh, he was quite entranced by it. He went away and did research for several months. And uh, I don't know if you want me to go back to the very first sighting I had sure. and start Absolutely. there. Yeah, it's, okay. it's pretty. It's pretty trippy. I like. I like that story. Yeah. Yeah. So this was the story I told. There were two stories, and uh, um, basically, I was in Scouts in Sarnia, Ontario. I was twelve years old. It was it was March twenty eighth, nineteen sixty six. And um, it was a church. It was uh, St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Sarnia. It kind of overlooked the river on the uh, west side over to the States. Okay, this is southern Ontario, right at the bottom of Lake Huron, where Sarnia is across from Port Huron, Michigan. And my mom had said, you know, when Scouts is over, give me a call. I'll come and pick you up. Go outside the church, the back door on Front Street there overlooking the river, and I'll pick you up there. So... I went outside when church was over. I called my mom. She said she'd be along in about 15 or 20 minutes. And I went outside and these kids were playing in the street. And they said, hey, mister, uh, there's a helicopter up in the sky. And, I, I, you know, me with my hat, tie and shiny boots and belt and all this stuff, I guess I looked like a mister to them. There were maybe six or seven. You know, people wouldn't let their kids play in the street at that age now downtown. Yeah. But they did then. And uh, I looked up and I saw this light moving and I didn't hear any noise. And I said, kids, that's not a helicopter. And they said, what is it? I said, I don't know. And I'm watching this thing. The kids disappeared. And it's this bright light that's going from the north to the south, parallel to the river, just basically almost over me, but just over a bit more sort of over the river. And the crazy thing was was when it changed direction, it was instantaneous. And that was immediately when the lights went on in my head and I thought, my God, I don't know of anything that we have, whether it's Canada or United States, that can change directions instantaneously. You know, if it's a plane, it would have to do a bit of a loop, like a, a semicircle or a U. If it was a helicopter, it would have to come to a stop, then accelerate back. Uh, what was it? So, you know, I was thinking, is this a UFO? And we called them flying saucers back then. And, uh, but I didn't know, but I thought, what could it be? Some secret military craft? So I was kind of torn between the two ideas. You know, maybe there's something the U.S. has that's classified that they're testing. There is Selfridge Air Force Base just 20 minutes down the river on the U.S. side. So, I didn't know if it might be something out of there. Anyway, each time that it changed direction, it would come lower. So it started out, I'm going to say maybe a thousand feet up and maybe 900. And then each time it changed direction, it got lower. And then when it was maybe about 600 feet up, I could see what almost looked like a lens in the bottom. And it looked like the light was coming from behind this lens. 
And I could see figures moving behind this lens. And I thought, oh my God, the hair went up on my arms. And now I'm thinking, here I am alone. Uh, please, mom, get here as soon as you can, you know? And then she arrived within a minute later. But, and it almost looked like it was spinning so fast that it kind of goes the other way or something. And as soon as my mom arrived, I says, mom, you got to get out of the car. There's a, there's a UFO up in the sky. She said, don't be silly. It's a plane or a bird or a balloon or something. I says, no, get out of the car. So we're sparring back and forth for about 20 seconds. Finally, she gets out of the car. We look up and it's gone. So, you know, things were pretty quiet in the car on the way home. I, you know, I was disappointed because now she, I thought that she thought that I'm just making all this up somehow. And then I got home and I told my dad and my brother and they just laughed. So I was kind of annoyed and frustrated and, you know, nobody's believing me. So I just went into my room, closed the door, did my homework and went to bed. And then next day is a new day. You know, everything's fine again. And I go to school. Then when I come back home, my mom's all excited and she's got the newspaper open and she says, Rob, what you saw last night is on the front page of the newspaper. And over 200 people saw it. And my first thought was, yes, there is a God. And uh, I was so happy because for me, that was like validation that I wasn't lying to my parents. You know, we trust our parents. We hope they trust us. And it's very important that they support us. And I sure didn't feel supported the night before by anybody in my family. And so to get that validation was pretty cool. And I've never worried about it since. You know, many people have been worried about their jobs over the years. And will people laugh at me? Honestly, I don't care. Because I got my validation on the front page of the Sarnia newspaper. So if people question me, I say, well, you know, go to this newspaper. I'll even send you a copy and you look at it. You know, I was just one of 200 people. If you don't believe me, listen to their story. So that was great. And... Uh, and then the next day at school, my friend who lived across the street from us, he says, Rob, I'd love to see a flying saucer. How could we do that? And I just made it up. I said, well, maybe if we go on the roof of my house on a clear night, we'll be able to see something. So a nice clear night came up with lots of stars. And we, you know, went up to the top of the roof. It was a one floor home with a very, uh, not a very high pitched roof. And we had an antenna that has all the like the X's. You know, it's like a triangle type structure where you can yeah. climb up very easily uh, and onto the roof. And we took our you know, sleeping bags, pillows, compass, flashlight, walkie talkies, uh, tape recorder, uh, binoculars, you know, original sky watching kit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we were up there for about 30 minutes. Nothing. And, you know, this would have been in uh, early April. 1966 so it was a little bit cold and I said to my friend he says you know I, I don't think we're going to and I was about to say see anything and as I said the word see all of a sudden I got stopped in my tracks and uh, to the north there was like hundreds of lights that went from the north horizon right across the sky in about a second and a half to the south horizon and we're just, you know, sitting there on the roof in awe looking at this. It's like, wow, that just seemed like that was up in the heavens. What is that, like a meteor shower or something? 
what is that birds? No. And then we're talking like, what could it be? And 30 seconds later, the same thing from the South back to the North. And it's like, wow. And they seem to be in the heavens. And it was like a whole fleet of lights that were just infinitely far away in the sky that went across the sky in like a second and a half. So very fast, just boom. And uh, we climbed down the antenna. We went across the street to his folks place where my folks were having coffee with his mom and dad. And we were all excited to tell them this story. And I thought they would be receptive after being in the newspaper just a few days before they couldn't care less. So they were more interested in chit chatting and having their coffee. So we, you know, we left his place in disgust, went back across to my place and put on Star Trek. That was it. So fast forward back to, you know, a few years ago there, I guess, Mark, would it be about eight years ago now? It'll be eight years in February. Yes. Yeah. So back at, you know, back he said, who was listening to the story. And Mark was interested in the second story. And Mark, this is where I'll let you pick it up from here. Yeah, this was uh, pretty amazing for me because um, I had known Rob for several years. At this point, he was telling me these stories. And the first story, you know, it's classic. You know, it's a very classic kind of story. You know, saw the lights, saw the UFO. It got written up in the paper, absolutely. Um, but being a storyteller, I kind of got pulled in with the thought and visuals of two boys shimmying up the antenna of a house with a little makeshift sky watching kit. It had a very Spielberg kind of feel for me. You know, I was I was I don't know, I think it was like nine years old when I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So I had all in a course, of course, E.T., you know, so you have all this pull back to to these kind of images of two boys wanting to make contact you know from the roof of of of, the, of their parents home and i got very fascinated by that you know very 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 just one track mind and as rob mentioned i spent several months uh, and i did i got on uh you know bless facebook you know, I got on Facebook and started to bring up all these different um, groups around the world, pockets of people, you know, whether it be Peru, whether it, it be Australia, you know, um, different places in Europe, you know, and got exposed. And I'll say this quickly, uh, I keep the story, you know, kind of brief, but got exposed to more knowledge on what's called close encounters of the fifth kind. And I'm sure anybody that knows the scale, you know, the, the, the Heineck scale and the extended scale knows one through seven, and I won't get into the other six, but number five deals with bilateral or unilateral communication, direct communication with extraterrestrials. And that fascinated me. Um, I got very into that and I thought, these, these are people, individuals around the world that have taken it upon themselves to willingly, in, with all intent in their heart, to make contact. 
And I felt that that's what Rob and his friend did that night. I felt that they had made a full attempt and had an, an experience, a sighting based on that. Um, so after I contacted a whole series of different groups and talked to wonderful individuals all around the world, and they're talking to me about being in the fields, being on beaches, being in jungles and in deserts, doing this, I came back to Rob and I pitched him as a producer, as a friend, and said, I'd like, I'd like to, I'd like, I'd like to see us go here and here and here, these different places. And Rob was into it right away. He said, okay, you know, where do we go first? And of course, our first, our first road trip, our first plane ride road trip was into, uh, to Area 51, which we're actually going back to in a couple of weeks. <laughs> we're nice. excited about that. Very. That's we're we're telling you guys for the first time. We're going some. We're going back after eight years and going to uh, a secret location. <laughs> and we're nice. excited. We're excited about going there. And that kind of started the whole the whole thing. You know, every year we would be introduced. It's funny when you look at the, the WMD, the weapon of mass detection, Rob's cameras, it's like, I know, I know how many years we've been doing it. There are about seven or eight cameras now, Rob, every year representing a camera, <laughs> you know, every, every year we've been, every year we've been doing it. Rob would add thermal or full spectrum or a night vision. Cause we would learn get technology and information coming our way and um, 16 countries now, 16 countries over 50 cities um, just added a couple of new countries this year to take it to 16 when we went to Ecuador and Italy. So it, it just, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely the adventure of a lifetime. So tell us about some of the cooler thing. I mean, obviously 16 countries, it's more data than we can discuss in this program, but give us some memorable things like, things that made you guys go wow like what the hell is really going on you know or that that's where our curious minds want to go so give us some goods on some of the stuff you guys have found okay do you go want ahead. lights in this do you want lights in the sky or experiences on the ground whatever you feel i we got a bit of both mix it up for our viewers okay okay, okay. i guess the swami shore everybody knows about that one that was on a, a BC expedition, and it was um, just outside the town of Squamish, BC, British Columbia, which you guys would know about that. And, yeah. and we, we felt we were going to see something. There were four of us, and, and we really felt, and we found this spot on a logging road that had a beautiful view of the, you know, the monolith there, the, uh, um, uh, the Squamish, uh, what do they call that? The chief. Uh, yeah, it kind of goes straight down. It's like a monolith, one of the few. It's a here. sheer cliff. Yeah. And at 1059, and you know, uh, this was before I used to have all my equipment running. Uh, as you know, with so many cameras, that's a lot of gigabytes that it's recording. So I would have everything on, but it wasn't recording. I would, you know, record if something would occur, but... I was just near the WMD talking to Mark casually and Breslin of our group said, what's that over there? And I looked and there was a light moving. Pardon me. It was like a yellowish color light. And I immediately went to the WMD, which camera first do I turn on? And as I looked where the light was, I thought, my God, I'm going to, I can pick one camera because it's going to be in the woods in just a few seconds. So 
I my immediate uh, instinct was to hit the the green night vision zoom camera. So I, I started the recording on that. I got it aimed up and I just followed with it. And the sighting is only 10 seconds long. And you see it go right into the woods. And that's where you hear us kind of gasp. You know, it's right. in the woods. And you can see the trees light up behind it and the ones light up in front. So, um, you know, that was pretty exceptional. And we had uh, uh, Dave Palachuk from MUFON uh, research that one out and he deemed it to be an unknown. It was not the ISS. The ISS had gone through maybe 10 minutes before. Um, and even if it was the ISS, which it wasn't, it wouldn't have been seen at the angle we were at. This was all determined by MUFON and so on. And various other people told us. So, And it was in the trees, right, classic. Rob? It was in the trees as yeah, well. So it, it couldn't have been the, uh, the ISS. It was. Yeah, exactly. And if anybody wants to see it, you know, the way YouTube works, when videos get old, it's hard to find them. They, mm. they, they take them out of the search engine. They want you to see current content. So I get, I would suggest people just go to our YouTube channel, uh, Rob Freeman UFO World Explorer, and just click on videos and go most popular. And then you'll see it right at the top. Because people have complained to us, they're putting in search terms and they cannot find that video. Well, YouTube doesn't want you to find it. They want you to look at everybody's current material, right? Yeah. But you go to, go to our channel and go to videos and go to most viewed and you'll see it there. And that's a great so, video, too, because that video actually kind of became the signature sighting. Um, we ended up getting contacted by um, a producer through CNN, you know, because it became something. It, it's been in, I think it's been in three or four, maybe even five different documentaries now, just because it it was I think it was even in the top 12 of that year of, of being a complete unknown. So that's uh, that's pretty exciting for us. Cool thing about that part of the world too in BC is that's, you know, Bigfoot country or Sasquatch, le you know, legends seem to happen. And like ever since we chatted with George Knapp and Colin Kelleher six months ago, and they were like, yeah, we used to be nuts and bolts ufologists. Now all this stuff is possible. Poltergeist and cryptids and Bigfoot and yeah. orbs. And it, it's it's stranger now than it's ever been. But uh, it, it's, you know, as soon as you said Squamish, and I've seen the video, it looks like a green orb, but I think that's because your night vision, mm -hmm. you described it as more of a yellowish color. But but yeah, you yeah. can very clearly see this thing going through the sky and then it goes into the woods. And you're right, the trees in front kind of light up as it passes and so do the ones behind. And that's pretty hard to fake in terms of video. Like people have done a pretty good job with CGI and things like that. But to get the lighting angles right on a million branches, that's a lot more time than most people are going to waste to a hoax, you know? Yeah, and there was no sound with that. And uh, I guess, what did Dave figure out how big that was, Mark? Um, he put that at between six and eight feet wide. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's Great. trippy. That's trippy. So what have you guys been up to as of late? Let's talk a little bit about that because you guys have been at it again, uh, doing a few trips this year. Let's, uh, let's actually start with Mark. Mark, how did this all start? Well, you know, Jason, 2022 has been really exciting. Rob and I are always looking to double down on our knowledge and our learning and, you know, everyone has their own approaches and, and our approach is we take in all the approaches. You know, we want to we want to we want to be um, exposed uh, in to all the different ways of making contact, you know, and and for us, 
it really started in 2016, the bigger stuff when we went to South America. You know, we went to Peru. We've been to Peru a couple of times, and I'll, I'll touch on them both briefly. But while we were in Peru in 2016, we met a gentleman. His name is Sixto Paz Wells, and he's a 40 plus year contactee who has taken the media out to the deserts and Chilca and Playa Yaya and all these different places throughout Peru because in South America this is this is not a it's not a strange topic. I mean, Rob and I went in 2016 and and literally we laugh about it because we talked to painters, painters, guys just painting on the beaches of Playa Yaya, um, painting a cottage and you come up to them. They don't know who we are. I, st I step back about six or eight feet. Rob starts to talk to them about what you've seen. And the first thing they say is, oh, this light came out of the water and came up and it floated over the water and over the mountain. And it's like a normal Saturday afternoon conversation. This isn't a this isn't a strange thing for them. This is this is as normal as anything. It's only I don't know, guys, maybe we can talk about this near the end of the show or at some point, too. But in North America, <laughs> entirely different understanding of that. So we've enjoyed going back to, back to South America on multiple occasions. We went back again in 2019. Here comes my plug. I'm sorry. It's my 10 second plug. But we did um, a movie, a full length um, doc, uh, factual documentary called Making Contact Messages from the Andes, which is coming out very early 2023 into different festivals and screenings around the world and different things that we're doing with that. And we spent time with another contactee, much like Sixto, Ricardo Gonzalez. And we spent 18 days and had so many different experiences with him again it would be just a whole other show and it made us go back again to ecuador and that happened in april of 2022 again connecting with more all i can say is there is a scientific side and there's also a spiritual side when it comes to consciousness and raising your vibrations and energy levels and being in very like you had mentioned earlier about being in indigenous areas, you know, being in sacred areas, um, early civilization style, this is conducive. There is an, a natural energy that can have a big part of the phenomenon as well. So Rob and I went to Ecuador, again, experienced some very cool things in Ecuador, for sure. Um, and learned a lot through the guys there, you know, that that are part of Mission Rama, that 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 do this higher level of consciousness and meditation to make contact. So that was one. And the next one, well, I'll skip over, I'll skip over because I know this is a, a shorter program. We also got the chance to do probably the biggest expedition that we've had the opportunity to do in many years when we went to Italy and we spent a considerable amount of time in two different valleys. And what's amazing about this is it's a first because we've not had the chance to talk about this on a podcast. So we're really glad to talk to you guys about it. Hey, awesome. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a cool exclusive because this, this became national news in October. We spent time with a gentleman. Alessandro Rossia, I believe. I, I hope I'm saying I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. Um, who was in the uh, in the army, 
and 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 had uh, many 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 experiences and then he had a falling out with the government um and with um who he was with it became a a criminal case in italy that he couldn't talk about but for some reason suddenly there he is sitting across the table from rob freeman mm-hmm. talking and talking and talking and talking and showing pictures we'll never forget because they're mind-blowing amazing groundbreaking pictures and then we weren't allowed to talk about it we came back in september we weren't allowed to talk about it because he's in the middle of this criminal case but then in october if you bring him up online he went for it he said forget this forget the gag order forget everything and it became national news and that was a part of italy for us you know being with him and being with experiencers real experiencers that are having real encounters which is a part of another set of programs that we're doing now under what's called encounters but i'll let rob jump in and quickly talk to about what we saw while we were in italy yeah so i guess the, the very first thing was when we were at val let's see which one was this mark val the one with the cathedral oh val malenko val malenko we were, and this was pretty neat the way it all happened. It was high up on a mountain overlooking the valley over to a cathedral. Now, this cathedral is hundreds of years old, and there's lots of sightings connected with this cathedral. In all their writings of the cathedral, they talk about all these crafts in the sky, like hundreds of years ago. So that was pretty cool. And we could see across to that. And amazingly enough, uh, in my time lapse on the previous night there had been a thunderstorm and we happened to catch in the time lapse a thunderbolt hitting the cathedral and it's it's a super fabulous picture yeah you know i I, nobody got hurt of course it just probably hit a lightning uh, rod at the top and discharged to ground safely but the next night we went up there and it was raining and we knew we wouldn't be able to get the equipment out of the car but we just decided to go for it. We were being spontaneous and we thought we're open to anything because, you know, as we have found out, it's literally maybe 20% about what's up in the sky and the lights. The other 80% is crazy things that happen on the ground and experiences. And, you know, that's a whole nother program. But anyway, we were, we had to, it was like through the mountains, it's paved but there's nowhere to pull over. It's like trees right beside the road. So you literally, if you want it to even turn around, you've got to find um, just a bit of an opening in the trees because there's hardly enough space to even turn around. You'd be at risk of another car coming the other way, hitting your car. And there's so many turns. So we were at the corner of one of these and it was a little uh, vista area. There was a stone wall there. And then when you were there parked in the car, you could see out over the valley and across over to this cathedral. And but it was pouring rain and we're just talking and reminiscing and we're we're having fun. Mark and I connected on another level, literally. But we were really enjoying ourselves. And then I said, uh, Mark, oh, there's it looks like there's a car coming. I see it and I see the lights in the trees. You'll, you'll see the car in about four or five seconds because I happened to look back behind the car and I could see this. Generally, we were looking forward through the dash over across the valley. And all of a sudden, maybe about six seconds later, 
Mark says, well, where's the car? And I look back, nothing. And it's like, well, but the, the way we saw it light up was like it was just coming around the corner and it lit up the trees. So we didn't really think too much more of that. But then uh, not long afterwards, when we were getting ready to go out, like to leave, I started to back up onto the road. And as I backed up in the other direction, again, I saw all the trees light up as if there was a car literally just around the corner. And I, you know, four letter word I said, and I said, geez, I better get back. You know, the way the speed that this light's coming, he's gonna come around the corner, he's gonna hit me. I'm trying to back up onto the road. So I just put it in drive. I went forward and did a big loop around. But as I went around, this was literally just seconds later, that light was gone also. And Mark, maybe you can continue on with the story because this is where we started questioning what we saw. Yeah, like it, it was such a thing because, you know, your your mind takes you to the logical place every time, right? I mean, you you apply rules to something that you experience or rules to a light that you see. And I, the only thing I said to Rob after this happened around the car was, why are we assuming it's a car? Why did we assume it at all? Like from the, even the beginning, you know, like we're, we, we are literally defining labeling that experience or, or, or labeling that light coming up on the side of the car as being a car light based on, based on the mind, taking it there and filling in all the blanks. Like, I mean, literally all the blanks, like not one, but all. Um, and that was kind of something we started to laugh about later saying, well, it's, it's a car light until it's not a car light. You know, and we had we'd experienced that before when we went to Sedona, fast 30 seconds, but where Rob saw a satellite in the sky and he went under his breath, you know, oh, it's just another blah, blah, blah satellite. And then, and, and then it stopped and sat there, right? And then he went, and then I, that was when we coined the phrase, well, it's a satellite until it's not a satellite, especially when the satellite then took out his cellular transmission for the rest of the evening. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't use his cell phone. There was no, there was no connection with his cell phone. So then I said to him, well, that was kind of the lesson learned in Sedona. Why could not have applied here? We thought it was a car light because it had the characteristics of a car light, but then it proved to us twice that it wasn't a car light because we went up the road as far, like, I don't know, a mile, two, two kilometers at least, both sides, no turnaround points, no driveways, thin road. This car would have had to have backed up for two kilometers with its lights off to get away from us in less than two minutes. Like, this doesn't make sense. If we're going to apply logic, let's apply logic to all of it and say, mm -hmm. logically, does it make sense? That these lights would just disappear doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, and if and anyone's Mark, been to and, Europe, and, they they know the roads, especially in Italy. Like there, I remember I'm Portuguese by uh, my heritage, so you know you get on a bus and it's going down these tiny winding roads. There's no way for anything to pass anything, let alone pull a U-turn. These are like you know old like uh, stone walls with like plants growing on them, barely wide enough for two mopeds to pass. And it's so windy and dangerous. You're right. Nobody would ever reverse for two kilometers because the risk is somebody would hit you and they drive like hell yeah. in Europe. Like it's one speed and that's wide open everywhere. You know, that's it. And, and the other thing was, Louis, is that 
in the whole night, I think there was only one other vehicle on that road. Yeah. And so literally, if, if these were vehicles out of three vehicles, two turned around out of right. three, yeah. like nobody ever turns around on those roads. You, you go until you find somebody's driveway. And, and then you, you turn a car, see. right? If you're out in the middle of the woods, all you hear yeah. are the nature and you would hear a moped or the exhaust of something if it was, if yeah. it was a machine. Yeah. So, you know, we learned our lesson there. Don't assume, don't assume, like don't, as Mark says, don't try, don't try to apply rules on what you think it might be. Like just be open-minded and just watch, just follow the whole experience. But uh, then, Mark, remember we went, what was the next place we went to? Well, then we went up into even farther north, and we went up to Valcomonica. And Valcomonica is just legendary. I mean, there's just so much activity up there. And we were really fortunate because we got to be with two gentlemen who – have done a lot of research up there and they basically facilitate all the evidence and they facilitate all the different experiences. Our heads were filled. It's a, it's going to be a fantastic documentary again called encounters Italy. And, and it's amazing because, you know, they have the pizza, which is the, the pizza, the Monte pizza up there. And uh, again, if you bring it up online, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And they filled our, our heads for five days. We stayed up in a, kind of a chalet i guess it's kind of like a chalet type of thing up there and um we i, I mean rob you go ahead you got to tell your story about what happened on the mountains yeah so each night there was a little village up on the mountain and there were stories about encounters up in that village and you know we saw some pictures from the army guy of beings that were filmed up there at that very spot and so you know in the afternoon or evening or whatever, we would kind of hike up to that spot along the road, all of us. And I remember uh, on the, the second last night, or the last night, whatever it was, I, I had my cell phone and I thought it was only at mm, 10 or 20%. And I thought, should I bring out a spare battery? And I thought, oh, I can't be bothered to go back to the room to get a battery to, to, to plug in. So, you know, we were up at the top and I was doing some filming and my phone went dead. And I said, I was just pretending I was talking to the ETs. And I says, okay, guys, you can show yourselves now. My camera's dead. I can't film you anyway. And I turn around and look. And right across the mountain, halfway down, is a classic craft moving across the mountain. And I thought, well, there you go, you know. They, they answered my request. <laughs> they knew I didn't have a camera to film with. And I said, and my, you know, my phone had gone dead. I saw the little wheel turn and then the phone went dead. And I said to one of the others, I says, wouldn't it be funny if we get back down to the lodge and my phone came back on again? Because, you know, we've had many situations where electronics have gone wonky with this phenomenon. I mean, that's pretty common. Everybody knows about that. We've had entire battery packs go down phones, everything, you know, Mark's lost his audio channel on his camera. Just when one of the interviewees is going to talk about things that can happen when you're filming, you know? And so I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. So I said, wouldn't it be funny if my phone comes back on again? So I told everybody else what I had seen. You know, that was cool. And we all went back down 
Now, you know, we're all wearing hiking boots and the deal is, is there's a room. As soon as you get into the lodge, you have to take your boots off because there's cows everywhere. It's free range. And sooner or later, you put your foot in the cow pie. So the deal is at this lodge, no footwear in the rooms. They don't want it smelling like cow poo. So I, I you know, I went into the room to take my boots off. And of course, you know, we, as guys, we keep our phone in our back pocket. And typically I take my phone out of my back pocket before I sit on a wooden bench because I'm worried about damaging my phone, right? So I took my phone out and I look at it and it's on. And I thought, wait a minute, that's what I just said up on the mountain. Wouldn't it be funny if it was on again? And it was. And then I'm telling Marcus about this and he's now in the room with some others. I go off to dinner and the others are gonna join me in a few minutes. And Mark, say what you saw or what happened to you just moments later. Yeah, it all happened within a very short period of time. I mean, we I was with Felice, one of the group members, and we were in the back room and Felice was using the washroom and same thing. He's like, come here. Can you please come here? And I came to him. He said, look, what do you see? And there it was right over the pizza right over the pizza like a like a cylinder style classic kind of disc and he said to me you see this right like it, it's not real unless you have a witness and rob and i've always said that too you have to have a witness <clears throat> if you're doing if you're doing it on your own sure you know you, you, the mind can play tricks let's just say that the mind could play tricks you could see a light you could see a refraction of something you could see anything but we sat there stood there and watched it for, I don't know, six or eight seconds. And, and again, I have pictures that still blow. Felice still sends me pictures because they, what they do up there is they have um, surveillance cameras, security monitors and cameras up there. And Felice has the ability to access this footage and he still sends me footage and photographs today showing me the different objects that people see in and around that valley. Um, all kinds of things have happened there. I mean, the CIA has come there. I mean, they've had all kinds of different things over the years. So um, we're, we're going back. We got to go back. You know, it's um, there's a lot of legends and a lot of understandings that extraterrestrials visit that valley and uh, have um, made themselves a part of different villages in the past that that they're studying they're studying humans i mean this is what they're doing this is this is the, this is the understanding too that rob that's had with talks with with different people too that i think it was the geological they're they're studying the geological formations and stuff too rob i think yeah yeah there's one group of et's that are actually they say are embedded in one of the villages and you know they look just like us and and they're not interested in, these ones are not interested in the humans. They've been studying the geological evolution of the earth for a few thousand years. And they don't care about the humans. These particular ones are more interested in the evolution of the earth, geologically speaking. And uh, Mark, I just want to say too, that same night where you, where I had the sighting and you and Felicia had the sighting, we had all kinds of anomalous stuff happen with the, the phones. Like you mentioned about you all of a sudden were connected to Wi-Fi and there was no Wi-Fi up there. 
yeah, I never had a Wi-Fi signal. Suddenly I opened up my phone and it showed that I had Wi-Fi and I had a connection. <laughs> but we're in the middle of nowhere and there was no Wi-Fi connection. There wasn't even a router or anything that you could connect to. And that stuff was just happening. It seemed to be happening like every few hours. Some kind of strange, anomalous experience. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Good technological uh, high strangeness, as uh, one would say, right? Yeah. Well, you'd think the aliens got to have the best internet. I mean, clearly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And I remember I remember that story, Mark. Uh, what's the fellow Gary King we met in England who does the crop circle stuff? Gary, yeah. Yeah. He said that he was researching crop circles and he was in an area of England where there was no cellular service. And yet when they stepped into a crop circle, he had full bars on his cell phone and was able to make a call. He steps out of the circle and there's no cell service. Hmm. So once again, you know, these are all little tricks. They're just little cookies. They're little, uh, little carrots. We call them cosmic carrots. They're just little things to get your intention, like get your attention and you're, you're scratching your head. And it's like, what, this isn't really logical and normal according to all the stuff we know, like the physics we understand. But there's a lot more to it than that. I'm sure it's going to be all connected with quantum physics as we get into this more and more. When, so when people find out what you guys are there to do, uh, you know, when you arrive at a new location and you're there, you start talking to people, how receptive is the population to that? Like, do you get a, a big group of people to come and talk to you? Or are they sort of more standoffish? Like, what's the general uh, feeling that you get from these people? I would have to say, Jason, great question. I would have to say that um, they're eager, you know, they're very eager to tell their stories, like especially in Italy more so, in Ecuador as well. But in Italy, I mean, these are, are individuals that have dedicated 20 plus years of their lives to studying this and they've become like the, the you know, the grandfathers of, you know, uh, the I don't know what you call that, the bears of the knowledge, you know, like, um, so they had never opened up to anybody, but they had seen our work. They had a respect for our approach that we're authentic. We're not trying to sensationalize. We're not trying to overhype, cue the dramatic music style kind of project, you know, where we're, it's not a fear-based or a scary alien kind of extraterrestrial. Like to hear these gentlemen talk about the villagers and to literally have one guy say, well, this woman was in her kitchen and a, and a gray extraterrestrial came to her window and poked his head up and they laugh it's a full understanding that they go to these villages at least this is one theory that they go to these villages because it's a safe place you know it's a safe place it's a quiet place it's not like it's not like a big city it's it's they, they know that they can come in no one's going to freak out no one's going to get too too crazy sure there's a little bit of a whoa what just happened but there's still this understanding. So when we come in, we come in with all the respect in the world. We 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 respect the environment. We respect the people. We respect the stories. We're not there to cast judgment. We're not there to do any of that. And I think that, well, that just continues to open up some pretty incredible doors. I mean, we've already have, 
some amazing things lined up for 2023 in areas we've never got the chance to go to through COVID. And a lot of that is because of how we, honestly, how we respect and approach this topic and the people. Nice. What about your gear? What do you, like what you say you got, what do you call it? The WMD, the weapon of mass detection. So what kind yeah. of gear are you guys using to capture this stuff? Yeah, it's affectionately known as the WMD, Weapon of Mass Detection. And it's everything from military thermal. Now, it's like one shade off of military. Military, it has to be totally waterproof. And you pay, you know, a lot more for that. But the equipment that I have is military equipment. It's just not the extra stage to make it waterproof. Don't need it waterproof. You don't go filming in the rain. It's a lot cheaper. But there's... There's the thermal, the black and white thermal, which picks up heat. And we've seen things in that. We saw an actual classic saucer with a dome in Australia. Uh, it was Damien Knott that happened to be looking through it at the time. And we were recording it. And uh, as, as the ETs would have it, when we went to playback, we had all the audio, but the video was snow. Mark's got the whole thing documented behind the scenes. So that's the thermal. We have the green, the green classic night vision, which is uh, near infrared, and it's the green is, and it's also in wide angle for just having a scope in your hand, and then the zoom for on the tripod. Then there's full spectrum wide angle for spotting and full spectrum zoom. Then there's visible, and then we have a separate. So there's like seven to nine cameras on the big rack. Okay, and all these are running all the time now. After the Squamish incident, because I only got it on one camera, I leave all the equipment running the entire night. And then if we have something happens, I'll mark it down. And even I'll go through all the footage anyway to see if there's something, but it takes to do that. But is um, just time lapse. So it's uh, infrared time lapse and visible time lapse. And shortly, I'm sending the camera away to have the filters taken out and the uh, ultraviolet filter put in. So then there'll be three on that. There'll be the infrared time lapse, visible time lapse, and ultraviolet time lapse. They say there is some stuff that can be seen in ultraviolet and no other wavelength. So we have all that stuff. I do have stuff that you don't see very often also. I've got digital radar. So it's, it's low-powered chirp radar. So you can stand right in front of the dome and it won't hurt you. Okay, so, you know, it's a lot of stuff to take on an expedition. So I generally only take that if we're driving to an expedition. You know, I've taken all that on the airplane, but it's just too much. It's just too much stuff. And you spend half your time setting it up and half your time tearing it down. It's, you know, so I've gotten recently the uh, stuff from Ron Alch, UFO DAP system which is two cameras um, that are apart and then you can triangulate and they sit yeah. on tripods and they are recording all night. And if there's something seen, it, 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 you know, records a file. So you'll have a series of files saved on your laptop. Um, so, you know, I kind of go through these stages where I'll take on new equipment, but then we'll, I'll go through and do a call. I'll sort of get rid of anything that doesn't seem to be useful. So recently I've gotten more equipment, but we'll, we'll see what's useful and what isn't. Um, so, you know, it's kind of evolved. It's kind of evolved over the years of, of what's good. The, probably the most useful 
camera on the whole rack. Well, there's two. The main one is your um, night vision zoom. That's the one that caught the Squamish orb. And then I would say the next one is your full spectrum. So there's full spectrum wide and there's full spectrum zoom. Like it zooms right in like 1200 millimeters or whatever. And uh, you could literally see in the windows if there's a craft or something. But the crazy thing is, is, you know, when we were in uh, Peru a few years ago near Cusco, Peru, just with my iPhone, I captured a very unusual, very detailed craft. And we've shown that to Lou Elizondo and um, he, he thinks. Now, you never know with Lou because he has to dumb down his language when he talks. Uh, he's under a non-disclosure. So sometimes he has to talk in code. He can't disclose anything classified. So I don't know whether he knows what it is and is and pretending to speculate, but he says it's the energy imprint of a craft going between dimensions, but it's quite sharp. It is quite sharp. And I think you can find that on our channel, Mark, if you put in Cusco craft, yeah, if you use that Cusco. as a search term. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Cusco craft. Yeah. And it's, it's so sharp that, you know, I've been on UFO Facebook groups that I've gotten booting out of because people think I'm using Photoshop. Well, it's it's real. It's what I captured on the iPhone, and it, it is real. Um, but, you know, most people expect UFO footage to be very bad and grainy. And so if you have something that's unusually sharp, people usually discount it. I mean, there, you know, from time to time, people do get good pictures. You know, it, it is more rare, but they do get it. And we happen to get it with the Cusco craft. Yeah, there's uh, also that uh, there's a gentleman that kind of kept seeing a, a UFO craft. I think this is Romania or Czechoslovakia or something like that. But he zoomed in on this craft one night and you could see almost two entities in the front. Uh, I forgot the, the location exactly and the name of the gentleman in question. It was like a Delta craft, right? With a window, yeah. you could see two entities standing in there. It's a lot of people rip it apart and say it's nonsense, but yeah, if, I mean, cool either way. It was faked. He did a pretty good job because to be able to zoom in like that and to capture that, that was, you know, insane. And I keep thinking that you guys with your yeah. rigs are, are bound to capture something like that as well. And you guys were mentioning too before that, you know, it's nice to bring this equipment along, but after that, there's the logistics of carrying this stuff yeah. up the mountains that you guys are going to, you know, spend the night on or something like that. And just the hazardous conditions that, uh, you know, mother nature throws at you. And, uh, you know, just carrying all this equipment, I mean, that's that's a lot of work in and of itself. You almost need a separate crew it just is. to help you, right? Well, and quite often people that come along do help me with this stuff. Um, and we've gotten to the point, Jason, that, you know, I get very involved with the technical side. And we generally take half the time where there's no equipment. In other words, okay, I disconnect from all this technical equipment and just try to connect to the ET beings themselves, right? And we've had some pretty fabulous return on that from time to time. Like in Australia, when we, you know, feel that we made contact with it being there, I think I told the story on one of your previous podcasts. Um, but, you know, I get quite involved with all this, these cameras. And so, half the time we will leave all that stuff at home. And I just let that out of my mind and just try to make contact. And 
Honestly, we're getting a lot of messages recently, though, through other people who are very sensitive and so on. And we've, we've, the messages have come to us directly that they're going to let us record sort of more, um, how would you put it, more direct footage. And we've always been of that view, too, that they're going to let us know if, if we're going to be able to record it. Like, for example, you know, the Squamish Orb there in BC, we all felt that we were going to see something that night. We could almost taste it. We just knew. We just didn't know when. Right. And it was at it was at 1059 p.m. that it happened. But, you know, quite often when when there's going to be something happen, we can feel it. Not all the time, but we, we do get a sense. And it's quite cohesive in the group. The group all can kind of sense that yeah, there's there's gonna be something happen tonight. Nice. Man, an hour flies by so fast. Uh Louis, do you have any uh final questions for our guest today? No, I just want to say a big thanks to Rob Freeman and Mark McNabb for coming on the show. Uh it's awesome to chat with guys who get the science behind it, but yet still have a little bit of that spirituality as well. And I think yeah. that's important. We get comments from people on both ends of the spectrum, like it's UFO, UFOs and not, uh, you know, uh, consciousness and don't go there. And then we have people that say, oh, these are all just angels and there's no such thing. So we have to have a healthy, you know, suspension of judgment with the whole phenomena. I mean, if you're, if you're going to keep your, your opinion in a little box, you're never going to learn anything new. And uh, I think it's important. And the more you guys find, I guess, the more encouraging it is for you. So if people want to check you guys out, where can they find your material? Oh, the best Mark? place to go. The best place to go is definitely the UFO World Explorer YouTube channel. Over 350 videos on there chronicling the last seven or eight years. Um, and obviously Facebook. I mean, we have two pages up there now. We've got the UFO World Explorer Facebook page. And we've also got Encounters, which is a new one that we've launched. Um, very excited about that. My last plug, <laughs> just because you've mentioned about the spiritual and the science, it's a really cool thing coming out in the new documentary that we did called Messages from the Andes, because I got to um, create a story that has um, spiritual and 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 consciousness connected Ricardo Gonzalez pairing up with Rob, who's got a beautiful um, um, analytical scientific mind. And to put those two gentlemen together um, in one full length film was uh, was a complete joy. And I think I think audiences will love that. And I'll just let you know the exact release date. It's very, very soon. It's within the next month or so. So very excited for that, too. Looking forward to that. Mark McNabb, Rob Freeman, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Let's have you guys back on again very soon. Talk about uh, your new documentary when it releases, of course. And Thanks, uh, you guys are always welcome on this podcast. It's always open to you. Great. Thanks, thank you guys. so much, Jason and Louie. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, guys. Okay.